This is Grace Cho. Today, we are speaking with Scott Gordley. Scott was appointed Ringling College of Art and Design Department Head for Illustration in 2016. Scott brings with him over 30 years of illustration, teaching, and administration experience. Welcome, Scott. Hello. How are you, Grace? I'm glad to be here. You know, I'm a big fan of your art, and it's so exciting to try to delve a little bit deeper into your career and how you got here. How did you become illustrated in art growing up? Actually, I started at a very young age. My mother was a fashion illustrator. My mother would tutor me at the kitchen table telling me to draw things. And if I couldn't figure it out, she would draw it first and I would duplicate what she drew. And as I grew up, it became the primary passion. I knew I was going to make a career in art. There was never a question. And it was just who I was. That was always my identification. And my mother was uh, really integral in laying out that platform. And as I grew older, I entered contests. I remember winning a World Book Encyclopedia contest at 10 years old. I think I had to do a portrait of Teddy Roosevelt. And in my little hometown of Brookville, Ohio, a little farm town, that was fairly big news. It was on the front page of our little newspaper. And all of a sudden at 10, I was kind of a superstar in my own school. Amazing. It's often these art contests when we were children that have such a profound impact. Well, you, you know, making art is a solitary uh, endeavor. You kind of go on your own adrenaline. And even as a little child, it was the world that I kind of was enveloped in. My parents would take me to church and she would bring a pad of paper because I really wasn't interested in what the minister had to say. But I was interested in my own little art world. So I would draw page after page in this sketchbook. And uh, at that time, combat was a television show that was all about soldiers in World War II. So I would draw war scenes during the church sermon, and I would make sound effects of exploding grenades and, and tank explosions. My mother had to put her hand over my mouth. I'd get so into it, I forgot where I was. Funny story. I love that story. Well, from there, you go on to a lot of school, uh, undergraduate degrees, graduate levels. Why so many? Well, I went to a state university at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, and I, I was an, an art major for about two years until I just got tired of the winters. I decided to go to Ringling School of Art. I knew nothing about it. You know, it was in Florida. It was on the coast. It had beaches and palm trees, and that was enough for me. And I decided to go to graduate school. I went to Wesleyan, where I uh, majored in literature, and then I went to Tufts. And, and there, I was involved in performance art and video. So I, I really wanted experience. I wanted to branch out into other areas. And I think that's always just been my personality. I like to do a lot of things. So a lot of schools kind of worked into that. I, each program offered me something dramatically different. Now you teach at Ringling where you also went to school. And what's that experience like? Well, uh, just to sort of go back in time a little bit, when I, when I was a student here, uh, I had taken about five months off from Bowling Green, starting in the summer, and I worked for a carnival. I flew to Milwaukee for Summerfest, and I worked for the carnival, guessing people's ages and weights, and that was pretty interesting. Prior to that, I worked in a strip tent. Oh. <laughs> they had strippers at the carnival, and they had a strip tent, and in rural areas like Milwaukee and, and upstate New York, it'd be full of farmers. It was sort of a Toulouse-Lautrec <laughs> experience. Yes, 
that's what I envision. So I had a trailer that I lived in while I worked for the carnival. I came to Ringling and, and I lived right across from the campus in a trailer park in a 13 foot trailer in a Mennonite trailer park, no less, who kind of took me under their wing. They looked at me as a curiosity, an art student, and they would have me over for dinner. And it was a three-year wonderful experience at Ringling. Uh, Like 35 years later, I get an offer to come back and head the illustration department. It it is interesting. The campus has changed, needless to say, a lot more buildings and structures. There are still some of the original buildings that were here when I was a student. And I find myself walking down some of the same sidewalks I did as a student. So that's kind of a weird collapse of time. But there is still the same vibe on campus that there was in the 70s when I was a student. I think the students are more serious. Part of that is just a temper of the times and the jobs and, you know, very conscious of what they're going to do when they get out of school. I don't think we thought that much about what we would do when we got out of school. We knew we'd find our way somehow. There's more pressure put on students. So the definition of illustration, we've had a lot of discussion on it lately with a variety of different professionals in the industry. What would you say illustration is? I don't know that it's ever really changed. The industry's changed, but the definition really hasn't changed. It, graphic fine art, if you wanted to give it a label. Fine art and illustration, that's always been the big debate for years. And in fact, in the uh, university systems, there's always been that dichotomy between the fine arts department and the illustration department and the graphic arts department because one is commercial and frankly the other one is commercial too because if you're a fine artist then they need to sell their work and whether it's a gallery owner telling you you sold those figures for the from the last show and they were very popular you have some collectors that are interested in those maybe you should do more figures for the next show that's no different than an art director in an editorial position at a magazine saying, okay, this is what we are looking for in this particular illustration. Admittedly, in fine arts, you're self-propelled to, to do whatever pieces you want to do, whatever you want them to say, kind of construct your own theme. As an illustrator, you're directed into what to do. And I think that's basically the difference. When we have students as freshmen come into the school. And we hear this all the time from parents and students when we have open houses and they're looking over colleges. They're not quite sure what illustration is. And you have to tell them it's editorial illustration, it's children's books, it's fused with graphic design. We try to really encourage our students to be involved in graphic design as well as illustration so that they can package their work better. For instance, you're working on a poster for a music Uh, performance. It really helps you to know graphic design in so many ways. One, you can allow for the graphic design uh, to be a part of the illustration, and that influences the way in which you lay out the illustration. If you can do both graphic design and illustration, uh, you get paid more for it. They don't have to hire a graphic designer. And And I think for a portfolio for a student coming out of school, If you know graphic design and you can include that in your portfolio, it just makes it look much more polished, much more professional. Illustration overlaps in so many areas on campus here at Ringling. Motion design is one of our programs. Illustrators are needed to do the graphics. Illustrators are needed to work within the graphic design department because somebody has to draw those images. Game art, animation, concept work for film and animation. Somebody has to do the storyboards, design the characters. Um, And then you have all the 
the professions um, tied in with the illustration industry that it's uh, very helpful i think the clarification between your self-expression versus getting the direction for a client for example i think is is a clear mark of distinction my career's taken both paths you know i've been an illustrator and and a fine artist with galleries for the entire length of my career we had a, a painter in the fine arts department who has a considerable reputation and would turn her nose up at the illustration program because it was commercial, and that's not uncommon. And until the day that the New Yorker contacted her and wanted one of her paintings for the fiction article that they run, so that when that came out, it was announced on campus. And when I ran across her, I said, well, now I guess you're an illustrator, right? Which was like I threw a dart at her like, so what's wrong with that? There are so many illustrators that are involved in, in galleries. At Ringling, we have 40 faculty, 32 full-time and eight part-time, and they're all working artists. And probably, I'd say tw 25 out of the 32 are wonderful painters and fine artists and, and exhibiting in galleries all over the world. It's an incredible group of artists. So, you know, we really kind of leave the distinctions behind in this program. And what has changed the illustration industry over the years when you started out versus today? Well, certainly digital illustration wasn't around when I started. And so that's changed it in good and bad ways. Good in that it makes illustration more expedient. Deadlines are much tighter than they used to be. If you work for a weekly like Time Magazine, You'd have basically two and a half to three days. You would literally have to just deliver your work to it or send it on a Greyhound bus if you're out in New York City. And now, of course, you can just electronically send it. So you, you may have less than 24 hours to do an illustration. I've noticed that they require more sketches to look over. When I started out, we would do one or two sketches. Now the norm is four or five. I think digital illustration is a great thing. And of course, you know, here I'd say 75% of our students are involved in it, but we stress traditional the first two years and we hold them to it. The only trouble with digital, and, and I think you talk to anybody that's in education that teaches in a illustration department will bemoan the fact that a lot of digital illustration tends to look cookie cutter and much the same. And there's so much available art online for students to look at and want to replicate you know back when i was a student we had the library and we had books and we looked at those books religiously and we of course we had our favorites that we tried to emulate and you know photo bashing if you don't know what that is it's especially for game art and concept work artists will literally just take a photograph and fuse it into photoshop and paint over the top of it people use that method because it's expedient. When you're in the industry and you've got six hours to come up with an idea, you don't have time to render a landscape necessarily and all the textural aspects of it. So photo bashing is, is kind of an industry standard. Students will fall into that, but we keep telling them, yeah, okay, you can do that when you're in the industry, but when you're a student, you need to know how to render those things so that you know how to photo bash and what you want to use and how you want to use it and how you want to disguise it so it doesn't look like it's just simply a photograph. So, you know, we teach traditional, we make them work at it, 
but you know the industry is just different everything is faster than it was 10 years ago let alone 20 years ago so if you're working for the new york times you get an assignment in the morning you have to have it done by lunch do you see a trend in your students as to preference that they would choose in terms of freelance versus working with a publisher or some company when i was in school there were very few illustration studios it was all a freelance world it's still i would say largely a freelance life for illustrators but there are studios disney design group has a huge presence they do workshops on campus and students go off to do internships and some are employed by them some of the staples like hallmark cards american greetings abercrombie and fitch has a huge stable of illustrators that do graphics carter's clothing general motors we have students that go off into the animation world pixar dreamworks in Disney, and those tend to be contract jobs. They'll work for two or three years on a project, and then they'll have a new contract assigned for a particular project they're working on. Hasbro Toys up in Providence uh, employs a number of our students, and they also work on a contract basis. I believe it's a, a yearly contract. Well, we've noticed that some of these companies, such as Dropbox, Slack, Airbnb, these kinds of companies are using illustration more and more to communicate to the audience. Do they come to campus and try to recruit or? No, they haven't, not to, to my knowledge, at least in the illustration program. One of the things we talk about with the students is brand illustration, and we use it on campus as well for our marketing purposes, where we have an illustrator that we'll hire that will create a brand in the style of illustration they're asked to produce that gives the institution a certain look. And we had one last year that we worked on. It was, I think, Superheroes, and the illustrator illustrated all the different programs Ringling has to offer, and, and the campaign was kind of done in a superhero vein. And, you know, obviously that appeals to high school students who are hugely into Spider-Man and Marvel comics. So brand illustration is it's a niche that is growing in the, in the market. Mm -mm. I'm going to switch gears a little bit now and talk about your commissioned work. You're commissioned by so many famous people to paint portraits. In the past 30 years, the names have been included are James Earl Jones, Cher, Madonna. It's incredible. I worked as an artist in residence at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in uh, Waterford, Connecticut. I would sketch rehearsals. Uh, they, they do play readings at the O'Neill. It's kind of summer camp for actors. It's a chance for them to get away from the cameras and the filming schedules and just hone their craft. And I got to meet a lot of people through that. But beyond that, I had a, a lot of magazine work where I did uh, a lot of uh, portraits. I did a series of covers for Esquire magazine. They, they would hire me to paint, for instance, share as Salvador Dali would have painted her. I did a portrait of Madonna as Claude Monet would paint her. I did a portrait of Michelle Pfeiffer as uh, Paul Gauguin would paint her. I did a portrait of uh, James Earl Jones, and that was a, a wonderful experience. Are you sitting down with these uh, people as you do your portrait? Sometimes with James Earl Jones, I did. I spent about four hours with him in the studio. He was rehearsing a play with Vanessa Redgrave, but he had his script with him. And so he would, in his 
booming oratorical voice would belt out lines from the play because he was trying to memorize his lines. And for me to just sit there and listen to that voice and it was it was a, a performance in itself it was wonderful. But when he came into the studio, I asked him how he wanted to pose. And he took his coat off and he stood ramrod straight with his fist clenched with, with a scowl on his face. And he said, I want to be just like this. And I looked at him and I thought, oh, my God, this will make the worst portrait ever. And it, it was a portrait for his 50 years on Broadway. It was a sort of a commemorative portrait of him, an honor that was bestowed upon him. And, you know, in the audience at the unveiling were everybody from Michael Douglas to Broadway and theater people and Vanessa Redgrave. And I was just racked with fear that they're going to look at me thinking I wanted this pose and it, it was not going to make a great portrait. So I said, well, okay. And I did some quick sketches and took photographs. When I got done with the sketching, I called his agent and I said, could you maybe talk to his wife and see if, you know, she can kind of soften him up on that pose because that's just not going to be good. And she eventually did. And so I did a portrait of him, much more relaxed portrait that, that I finally liked. And who's going to argue with Darth Vader, for God's sakes? And it's always a little nerve wracking. I do a number of portrait commissions and I still have that same sort of mild anxiety when we do the unveiling. They've never seen it. You don't know what people think they look like. You know what you think they look like. But to be a good portrait artist, you have to consider how they think of themselves. And you can only get that information from spending time with them. That's why I like to do life studies where they literally pose in front of me. You have to know what they think of themselves. And that comes with time with the subject. And I think that's a very important skill. If you were to translate that to the illustrator world, what are those skills? I think in an illustration, especially editorial illustration, where you have a little bit of flexibility in how you portray a, a subject, you certainly bring to the plate your personality and the things that you are passionate about. You'll uh, introduce elements of that in the illustration. And For example, say it's a fiction article for The New Yorker, and you have a figure in, in who's the main character in the story in an interior space. In that interior space, you have a lot of elements. And if you have a wide range of interests, you can introduce in the interior space, you bring an extra dimension to it. It could be a painting on a wall. It could be a glass of scotch on an end table that's almost completely consumed, but there's a little bit of liquid left and, a, and an unlit cigarette in the ashtray, which could be a metaphor for the passion going out of a relationship. It could be that part of the story that's maybe the thesis statement of the story. And those little symbols or metaphors can just embellish the story. An art director will pick up on that. The layman who is looking at the illustration may not pick up on it, but that's the difference between a smart illustration and one that's just kind of going through the motions. If you're doing, for instance, an illustration on Friedrich Nietzsche, and you don't know anything about Nietzsche, then you better start reading some uh, and, and, uh, and understand what that author was all about. Completely. Understanding the subject. Very, very important to understand in order to create that full, comprehensive picture. Yeah, yeah. This has been uh, a wonderful conversation. 
thank you so much Sophie, for, for your time Scott it, this is, uh, it's been a great pleasure of mine well thank you very much Grace it's uh, been a lot of fun I thoroughly enjoyed myself this is Grace Cho Entrepreneur we help creative succeed bye bye <laughs>